Hello everyone. I'm Ajish TV George and you are listening to On Manorama podcast. On Manorama's article Tale of Two Nuns comparing the judgment given in the nun rape case and the Abhaya murder had become a major discussion point on social media. We have with us Ayyappan R, the reporter who did the story to tell us more on it. Hi Ayyappan. Hi Ajish. So, what triggered the idea of such a comparison between two cases both involving nuns and priests? First of all, It, it was this fact that both of them, both both of the victims were uh, nuns. That actually gave it a kind of peculiarity. So that that kind of prompted me to compare both these cases. But what actually intrigued me was the approach of the judges in both these cases. Both these judges kind of used very weak evidence, very weak supporting matter to to punish the people who they thought were guilty. In the Abhay case, the judge I thought. Used very a small uh, what they call a fine uh, shred of evidence to punish to sentence uh, Mr. Sethi and other punished people. And in this case, there are the accused in that case. And in this, this case, weak evidence, weak supporting evidence was used by the judge to to kind of undermine the credibility of the victim and completely exonerate Bishop Franco. So that was the point that actually. Intriguing. That is a point I thought is very peculiar. For instance, uh, in the Abaya case, almost all the witnesses had turned hostile. So there was just this, just a piece of testimony for the judge to rely on, for the prosecution to rely on. But the, but the judge took the piece statement at face value. He also had very sterling words of praise for the piece. But on the other hand. Look at how 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 the judge approached the Ravalanad nun case. The judge himself says that that Bishop Franco was a person of authority. That there was enough evidence to conclude that the accused was exercising real authority over the congregation and the nun. So here is a case of a person in authority and a person subordinate to him, and a person who who is very existent depends on the winds and fancies. Of the bishop, though he says so, this power dynamic is not explored by the judge. He just leaves it at that. That is one issue. Another interesting uh, comparison that I found about both these cases was the again the use of evidence. In the Abhay case, it is just the photographer who had seen. Only he had testified that there were two nail marks on either side of Abhay's neck. But the doctor who did the autopsy had not seen it. He has not recorded it. But still, the judge thought the photographer. Was a more reliable witness than an expert doctor in that case. But just take and, and, and see how what the judge in the Kuravalangad uh, nun case did. He uh, what do you call? He gave great emphasis, great importance to an interview that one of the witnesses, Mr. Anupama, did with Abhilash Mohan, reported to me. Abhilash was in reported to me then. There was this interview, a close encounter interview with Mr. Anupama. Uh, and during this interview. Uh, What the judge says is that Sister Anubhama tells the tells the interviewer that they they would have kind of you know forgot the case had he settled the issue. He he uses the word he in the judge. The fact of the matter is that uh, Sister Anubhama has not used the pronoun he. What she was actually referring to was the church. If the church had settled the issue, she wouldn't have gone to the or they wouldn't have gone to the police. So by that time. Uh, the 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 nuns had already taken their case to to various bishops within the Tirumalabar uh, community to the uh, major archbishop Mar Alamgiri and then also to the Vatican. 
they were waiting for something, something positive to happen from the church established. That is what they were speaking about the settlement. And what was the settlement? They just wanted to be outside the influence of Kushat Pranga. They just said some of us should be removed to another diocese, to the Bihar diocese, where they thought the Bishop would be more protective of them. That is it. But the judge saw in that an inconsistency. That was one of the reasons he that is one of the reasons he uses. One of the evidence he uses to undermine the the prevalent the, the, the quote yeah. from the interview was probably taken out of context, right? Yeah, I, I think to, to use a very uh, less offensive way of putting it, I would say the uh, judge misinterpreted Kishkaranikumar's statement. Because it is too evident. The, what she says is too evident. You can't use it to say that she was trying to settle the matter with, with Bishop Prango. She was not trying to settle any issue with Bishop Prango. She was trying to say that the issue has to be settled with the church. The church had to settle it. Not Bishop Branko. There is a sea of difference between these two. That, I think, was lost on this judge for the court. Uh, soon after the verdict, also, there was a lot of outrage uh, saying we stand, people uh, stand with the victims on social media and all. The the one Another factor was that after the Nivea case, the very definition of uh, rape has changed. And now the burden of proof is on the accused. Yet, in, in this case, uh, the nun's statement is not considered seriously. In fact, the words exaggerations and embellishments were used in the judgment when talking about the charges. Could you say why? After the uh, 2012 Delhi rape, the Nirbhaya tragedy, after that, the center had come out with a new law, new amendment law, which is called Criminal Law Amendment Act 2013. This kind of, you know, expanded uh, the definition of rape. So after 2013, after this act, rape is not just in penetration, vaginal penetration. Uh, it has been expanded to include acts that doesn't even include penetration. It includes all the acts that this nun has accused Bishop Franco of. I mean, like uh, triggering her, like like uh, like making her touch his private part, like him touching his her private part, and all the monstrosities that Bishop Franco as allegedly done, done to the nun, all of this constitutes rape since 2013. But somehow, the court has not considered those things as rape. Because, you know, that many, many areas of the of, of, of the judgment, it is said, the judge says, the nun has only told her fellow companion nun that she has to share the bed with, with the bishop. And she has never said that she has been raped. So that is how the, the judge has taken her statement. So her allegation of various other monstrosities, her, her statement that many things were done to her, many things were forced upon her, was was not considered rape. The, the fact that she has not said in her earlier statement, in her earlier confirmation statement, and uh, in, in her certain in her letters to the, uh, to the authorities in the church, the fact that she has not said that there was we're not written that there is denial penetration. That uh, the judge is used again. And uh, but, uh, the judge uh, says the, that uh, she cannot be considered a sterling witness uh, because there are many inconsistencies in her statement. So these are, are were these the inconsistencies that he was referring to? Uh, this, is, this is one of the inconsistencies because in a first information statement, she had not spoken about the, the penetration. And when she talked to her doctor, the doctor who had, uh, not to her doctor, but to the government doctor who examined her, even in the doctor's report, there is no mention, even, if, even though there is a mention of, of penile penetration, that we stuck off. But what the judge says is that in a supplementary statement, she says that there was penile penetration. Penetration. In, she has alleged rape 13 times. And she said, in, except for the first time, all the 12 times, 
there was penal penetration. So that was that came in the supplementary statement that she gave. So this was considered as perhaps the biggest inconsistency. Uh, I mean, there were other inconsistencies too, which uh, which the judge said. I mean, to kind of discard her statement in total, the judge just said one that uh, when she told her companion companion sister that, that she was afraid when the bishop comes, she will have to share the bed with uh, him. And then she she expresses her uh, anxiety or concern, a deep fear of having to share the bed with. She has just said that, and she herself has told the court that she had said nothing more. But what the court says is that she did not, sharing a bed with someone is not rape, is what the judge says. She has not spoken about rape. She has just said that she might have to share the bed with the bishop, which is a future thing. You can't say that by that time she had been raped. So that is one inconsistency that the court so I, I even my uh, so my question is uh, where where these inconsistencies so glaring that Mulekel stood no chance of getting convicted. See how you respond to how you how the court responds to the to a victims to a survivors complaint. What the judge finally the, the final conclusion that the judge arrives at is that the grain and shaft is so inextricably linked in this case that it's difficult to kind of separate these. Meaning all that this this none had said are worthless, are a big lie, are a, what do you call a bundle of lies. There is nothing in what she said that is believable. That's what the judge said. But um, we, have, we have talked to a number of lawyers before, before doing this report. And most of these lawyers, all of these lawyers actually said, what, what they said was that this, uh, what do you call, this grain and shaft metaphor has been consistently used, used by the court over the years. But every time the court uses it, what the court had always said is that even if there are inconsistencies, there are deficiencies in the in the evidence provided by the by the victim, if at all there is a residual proof, if at all there is a residual information that kind of supports what she says, that kind of proves that this man has done something wrong, then you should go ahead with the conviction. In this case, none of what she said has been believed by the court, which to, to, to perhaps to, to the law, to a layman like me, for us, I mean, this is quite strange. But even for uh, the, the, I mean, even for the, uh, the legal community who are well versed in the nuances and the complexities of law, even they find this pretty weird. Why was none of her statements taken as face value? At least one of what she, something that she said, why was it not examined by the court? I'll just give you one example. I mean, the example of what. What a layman like me thought was an over enthusiasm on the part of the court to kind of undermine, to kind of ridicule the victim. Because, you know, there, there was this complaint given by a cousin of this victim, cousin of this survivor. The complaint is, is that uh, this nun had externality affair with her husband. So that that was one, uh, that complaint kind of, you know, made uh, Bishop Prango to initiate legal proceedings against this female. But quite soon enough, this female retracted the complaint. She said it was wrong. I was using certain easily available facts. I mean, like the scar on this nun's stomach, which everyone knew. And then she mixed it with some spicy untruths to make up a story, to make up a, uh, what do you call it, a seemingly credible story. And so she was sorry for that. She apologized for that. She apologized for that even, in, even before the court. Even then, the court went, but we examined this complaint quite deeply. The court used the word, the, the, what do you call the concoctions, the distortions that this complaint, uh, what do you call this, her cousin had, uh, had stated in her complaint. She kind of, even, even uh, what do you call, even question her behavior, even, even kind of 
cast aspersions on this man's behavior, even though uh, the complainant said that the complaint was fake. So that is the level to which the uh, nun was sidelined and uh, ridiculed. I think uh, uh, it, I, it depends on the on the approach of a judge. I mean, what is what if another judge looks at the evidence and what if he uh, he takes it in a more sympathetic, in a more tender way? Or what if he uh, approaches her evidence or complaint in a more tender, sympathetic way? Perhaps uh, Franco could be in trouble. True, true, Ayipan. Uh, we often say that evidence is what stands in court, but this comparison was a classic case of showing that a lot of times the judge's prejudices and his personal opinions matters. And that too, to an extent, where the case can switch to either side. Every time, what, what the Supreme Court has quite constantly, quite consistently said is that you will have to look at the victim's case in a very sympathetic manner. That has, that has always been the case. In the, in the Walayar case, for instance, Walayar case, the two kids eligibly committed suicide. Even then, the High Court said that the judge has to be very proactive in being sympathetic to the victim. But it is not, here it is doubtful. You can't say with any certainty that the judge has been sympathetic to the victim. The judge, it seemed, was too eager to kind of undermine her evidence. Uh, the judge even, uh, even sort of, you know, uh, if you can go through the judgment, uh, the judge even insinuated that there was a kind of consensual relationship between the nun and the bishop. Mm-hmm. But again, when the judge himself has said that the, that the bishop was in, a, was in a position of authority, even the question of consent doesn't arise. If she sure. says that she had been raped, you, the, the victim has to be taken at face value. Because there is no consent involved, because this man uh, is, the, uh, uh, is in a position of authority, and this female depends on him for her existence. A complete authority, is, absolute authority is the position. I don't know how another judge would look at this. I mean, anyway, they, I, I think the government given permission to move the high court. Prosecution might be moving the high court. Okay, uh, with that, let's wind up the discussion. Thank you, Ayapan, for sharing your experiences. I request you all to follow On Manorama for more podcasts. And if you like the episode, do share it with your friends. Thank you. <laughs>